Now, when Andy asked me to say something this morning, he said, we're talking on saints, your favorite saint. And I thought, I'm not a sainty person. But when I looked into it a bit more, I hope that is no longer true and that we all can identify with the little bit I'm going to share. But the person I'm going to talk about, you must think, why did she choose that person? And I've chosen St. Gabriel. And it was just one of these things that God sometimes drops into your mind and into your heart. And it made me think a bit more about Gabriel as he is found in Scripture. And as I say, I'm not into all the saint this and saint that because, as we'll find out before the morning ends, we are all God's saints if we love Jesus. And that's what I want to concentrate on with this person. And he's not mentioned much in the Bible, but wow, what an impact he had. His name is Gabriel. And it isn't so much the um, reputation he has, but what Gabriel stands for. And I long to emulate some of Gabriel's character more and more, and I've still got so much to learn, and I expect some of us here this morning can identify with that. But he's had such an impact in Christian history. Because if we go back to the Gospels, it shows me something of how special he was and his qualities. And there's a reason for him showing such qualities and why he is so special. And firstly, if we go back to the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter, we'll stick with the New Testament mentions of Gabriel because as far as I know, somebody may correct me later, there's only really three mentions of Gabriel in the scriptures. One is in Daniel, and then two of them are in Luke's gospel. And he had such an impact on Christian history. He was the first person, I think, to turn the world upside down by his announcements. And the firstly, he went to Zechariah, who was a priest, and Zechariah was really a troubled man. Life wasn't easy because his wife Elizabeth couldn't bear children. And in these days in the Middle East, it was a shameful thing if you didn't have children. And he didn't have children, but there he was ministering to the Lord in the temple. And suddenly, this person, Gabriel, came and into his, I was going to say his hall, I don't know what it was in the temple, it was all with hangings made according to the law of Moses and he talked with, with Zechariah and he said a shocking thing, he said you will, your wife will bear a child and you will call this child John. And he will cause the children of Israel, the people of Israel, to come back to the Lord. Well, it's no wonder Zechariah was a bit shocked. I don't know how you would feel if that happened to you. And he said John would 
be used to bring many people back to the Lord. What an amazing thing. And the answer he received when he asked, he says, but how can this be? How can, how can this possibly be? My wife can't have children. And he said, this is the answer he got. Gabriel said, I stand, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to give you good news. Wow, no wonder he was lost for words. So that was the first time we hear of Gabriel, quite important in scripture. And then he came to Mary, that young woman with Joseph who was going to Bethlehem and he gave her good news too. And he said, there's going to be a miracle. Joseph and you are going to have a baby who will be the savior of the world, not Bethlehem, the whole world. And my, didn't that turn the world upside down too? And it was some of the things that he said and he's known for that really makes him a real saint to me and a favorite person. And I just long to be like him more and more. And it took me back 18 years to our, one of our grandsons, who is now six feet plus, and then he was just a little baby. And the family and friends were gathered round in the hall in the school down at Overton, and we were praying as he was dedicated, presented to the Lord. And he was given the name Gabriel. And it was the desire and prayer of us as a family that the day would come in God's time when Gabriel would become like the Gabriel of Scripture who would stand in the presence of God and would show a quality of spirit that led him to pray for people and look after God's people. And I keep looking at Gabriel in the Scripture and asking myself why do I long to be like Gabriel? And I think it's because he was constantly found in God's presence. He said, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. And he goes out not only saying, I stand in the presence of God, but he goes out to demonstrate that quality of being in the presence of God. He was humble, he gave the message, he acted upon it. And these are things that make me realize I've still got such a long, long way to go. But that's what my heart is, to be one that is known who sits in the, or stands in the presence of God and comes with good news like Gabriel did. And you know, as born-again believers in this room, we don't need to say St. Margaret, St. Jean, St. Alan, St. Gary. <laughs> we just see people as God sees us, and we're all saints. It tells us in the scriptures. Paul particularly points us in Ephesians and says, you as saints love one another. 
pray for one another, look after each other. And that's my heart. Not just to sit and pray, me and God, although that is good, but what God gives me, what he tells me, what he asks of me to do as one of his saints. And I wonder if each one of us here, if you and I want to describe ourselves, could you go and say, I am, and your name, who sits in the presence of God. It shows me that I can't do it in my own strength. I need God's presence. I need to hear him speak so that I don't go to people with my thoughts, my ideas, my good counsel, my advice. I want to carry something of weight that carries the love and the presence and the power of God as I speak. That's my heart and I haven't got there yet. But I don't expect many of us could stand up and say, I've arrived. But it's what I long for. Paul says in another place, I press forward to take hold of the call of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so, according to the letters in the New Testament and to Jesus himself, I am a saint and so are you. And this is why I long to celebrate All Saints time. And it's not only those that are here on earth, but it's those that have gone before us. I think of saints that have sat in this room who have been a real saint to me, who have blessed me and prayed for me and counseled me. People like Glynis Pascal, like Bruce, Sandra's husband, like Bruce Blow, like so Adrian Thomas, so many people, I've only mentioned a few and I really give God thanks for them because without them I'd be a much poorer saint than I am now. So as we hear the name Gabriel mentioned probably many, many times in the Advent season starting next month, then Remember and ask the Lord to give you more of his qualities as I'm asking him to and go out demonstrating his sainthood and let's enjoy being saints ministering to one another. Amen. Um, Yes, so, uh, no chocolates I'm afraid, but I've got some lovely pictures. Um, All right, right, there we are. Oh, sorry. Excellent. So, we've got this incredible cloud of witnesses that has gone ahead before us that Marilyn has alluded to. And in all our struggles, in all our difficulties, they are cheering us on this incredible legacy. But there's few stars um, in the firmament um, that shine quite as brightly as this guy. Um, um, uh, this, of course, is St. Paul, Paul the Apostle. Um, and to be quite honest, I think if it weren't for Paul, most of us would not be here today. It was Paul, after all, who first brought the gospel to Europe. Um, and, um, you know, Paul was just a force to be reckoned with for 
he, he was just one of these kind of all or nothing characters. He wasn't six or one and a half a dozen of the other. He was absolutely 100% uh, um, whatever he was into. Um, and um, of course, it wasn't a very promising start. Um, he, he began his life as a bit of a, uh, a religious fanatic, um, uh, part of the, the Taliban of his day, if you like, um, or at least the kind of religious police. So he was hunting Christians and hauling them away into prison. And, um, you know, the thing about a religion is it's addictive. Uh, you can never get enough of it. You can never get enough of earning enough brownie points so that your good deeds outweigh your ba bad deeds. And, and that, you know, fingers crossed, you, you might be able to blag your way into heaven on the basis of that. So it's a bit like um, climbing a staircase. Um, in fact, Paul writes to the Galatians, I, would, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. That's the thing about religion. You're advancing. You're climbing this staircase. Um, uh, he wrote to Philippians, um, uh, as to legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. Um, and he meant it. Um, um, and that's the thing about religion. The strange thing is, as you advance up this escalator, you never get any nearer the top. Uh, it's a very famous uh, drawing by the Dutch artist Morris Escher. And if you look, you just basically go round and round in circles. You appear to be going up, but you're actually going round in circles. Um, now, um, I once remember as a child uh, walking out to the sea at Western Supermare. Um, now, if you've ever been there, it's a huge estuary. And I walked, 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 and I walked. And the strange thing was, I never got any nearer to the sea. You see, the tide was going out faster than I could walk. Um, and, you know, this quicksand sort of under your feet, and there was these kind of seagulls circling above my head, and it was a bit kind of menacing. And, you know, um, that's the futility of uh, religion. Um, you just start heading out in your own strength towards a horizon that gets further and further away. Um, and in that sense, religion is like the ultimate scam. It's a bit like those unbelievable prizes you're offered. You, and you, you know, first you've got to pay a sort of minor service charge, and then there's a kind of larger remittance fee, and then a, a, a maybe on top of that an even bigger customs tax. And, um, and before you know, you're paying out hundreds of pounds and then maybe thousands of pounds um, for this prize that's supposed to be getting closer and is actually getting further and further away all the time. Um, you know, but Paul, or, or Saul as he was then, was absolutely engulfed in this scam, which had taken him over to the very center of his being, the scam of religion. And that is why God literally had to turn his life upside down to get him to change direction. Um, you know, but it wasn't a gentle nudge or a still 
small voice of calm. It was, you know, absolute state-of-the-art, five-star pyrotechnics, um, you know, that God reserves only for the most kind of unbudgingly stubborn people. And, um, you know, there are several things about this road to Damascus encounter that might attract our attention. Um, firstly, it takes place at high noon. You know, noontime in Scripture has a symbolism. It symbolizes the revelation of God at full strength. Um, you might remember it was at noon that, Abraham, that God appeared to Abraham and promised him a son in Genesis chapter 18. It was at noon that Jesus revealed himself to the Samaritan woman. It was at noon that the sky turned black at the crucifixion. It was at noon that Peter had his trance um, uh, on, the, on the roof by the sea, um, and which led to the Gentile outcast being admitted to the church. And if you, you might re remember in Revelation that um, Jesus' face shines like the sun in its noonday strength. Now, there's also an, another striking thing about this road to Damascus encounter. Um, there's some really interesting echoes of the Old Testament. Um, you know, as you know, Paul was on a journey to destroy God's people. And you might remember someone in the Old Testament by the name of Balaam, who was also off on a journey to destroy um, God's people. And, um, you know, there's almost this sense of, of deja vu, because just like Paul, uh, Balaam's journey, Paul's journey goes di disastrously wrong mid-course. They're both of these guys are interrupted by this incredible supernatural encounter that causes them to fall to the ground. And the, the end result is that they, they set off armed with a completely new set of instructions and end up preaching exactly the opposite message from the one they originally intended to preach. Um, and the only, the only thing missing in Paul's case is the talking donkey. Um, now, I think there's also an, um, an echo of Jacob's encounter at uh, Peniel. Um, um, if, if you remember, J Jacob en ended up in a wrestling match um, uh, with God, and um, he ended up coming out of this with a limp, a permanent injury. Um, but like Saul, he acquired a new name, the name of Israel, a new identity, a new purpose. Um, and, um, and Paul himself, like um, Jacob, may have been permanently injured by his encounter. Um, we know that he was later healed from the temporary blindness, but there's a hint in Galatians that he possibly had a permanent eye condition as a result of this. So like um, Jacob, he came out um, you know, with, you know, physically weakened. And I... I believe this is the beginning of a long process of breaking and humbling that lasts, uh, lasted for the rest of his life. Um, you see, there's still in Paul's early Christian walk a, a hint of the angry young man. In Galatians, which is quite an early letter, we read how he's, he's fairly dismissive of the authority of the other apostles, publicly humiliates Peter, um, and tells his, his critics who want to circumcise themselves to go the whole way and chop everything off. <laughs> and um, then we read in Acts uh, about this blazing row he has with Barnabas. 
because he believes that John Mark is unreliable. And as a result, Paul storms off on his own separate mission. And then in Philippi, Philippi um, uh, he gleefully forces the magistrate to come and grovel um, because they had him flogged as a Roman citizen. Um, but in the later letters, we begin to see a beginning of a change in tone. Um, this is what he writes to the Corinthians. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Um, and in a, in a later letter to Corinth, he tells them how he was flogged five times, beaten three times, shipwrecked three times, and um, pressed beyond measure, um, he says, leading him to despair even of life itself. And his conclusion at the end of 2 Corinthians is that Christ's strength is made perfect in his weakness, just as it is in ours. And by the time of perhaps what is his final letter to Timothy, he's a fully broken man, deeply conscious that so many of his close colleagues and friends have deserted him and longing to be reunited with Mark, the very Mark he'd fallen out with, so spectacular those many years earlier. But in going through all these things, Paul left an indelible mark on history. You see, he understood from the inside the complete futility and bankruptcy of religion. Uh, you see, we, 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 we can have a choice. We can either have religion or we can have God, but we can't have both. A religion is all about what we do for God, what we do for God. The gospel that Paul preached is what, all about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. You know, there's nothing you can add to it or take away from it. Everything is complete in Christ and everything stands or falls in him. And all we can do in the end is bow the knee and surrender to him. And that's why Paul's discovery re revolutionized the course of history. Now, um, forget about Halloween. October 31st is a very special day um, in the Christian calendar because this is a day just over 400 years ago, a guy called Martin Luther nailed 95 theses um, to the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg, 31st of October. Um, and uh, Luther was someone like Paul who, um, who um, stood against the tide, somebody who rebelled against religion. But, you, you know, he couldn't have done that without Paul's example going before him. So without Paul, there'd be no Reformation, there'd be no Wesley, there'd be no Whitfield, there'd be no Azusa Street, there'd be no Barney Coombs, there'd be no Gary Bastin, there'd be no Hope Community Church. Um, we'd all be desperately clutching our rosaries and just desperately trying to earn those brownie points. Um, but instead, we can find rest in the fact that everything is fully complete in Christ. And I think there's one verse that just so beautifully 
encapsulates Paul's message, and that is this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's the wonderful thing. Um, it's not about us at all. It's all about Jesus. I'm just going to bring this into land now. I think hearing, hearing Marilyn and uh, hearing David preaching the gospel there, hey? all right? Have, uh, have, is, is there anyone who's not given their life to Christ yet today as a result of that? <laughs> if you do want to give your life to Christ, please do. But we can, we can see to that afterwards. But I just wanted to bring this into land because clearly we... Here's, here's a, a dictionary definition of a saint. A person who after death is formally recognised by a Christian church, especially the Roman Catholic Church, as having attained through holy deeds of behaviour or behaviour a specially exalted place in heaven uh, and the right to veneration. Right, so... Um, if I might say that, what a lot of nonsense. <laughs> right? That is not, that is not what, uh, that's not what it's all about. But we, there are some wonderful characters here that we, we just, uh, these are just a few of the sort of people that, that are well known as saints. And some of their stories are quite amazing. We, we could spend ages going into some of their, their stories. So we're not going to because we, we've, uh, our time's gone, but these are just some of them. Um, this guy, St. Sebastian, he was, um, for his faith, he was, uh, he, he was sh shot at. They just filled him with arrows, and somehow he survived it. And, um, you know, they, but, but, you know, in order to, to become a saint, you've got to, have your, you've got to have done a miracle or something and you know, proved that you've, you've done some sort of miracle and it has to be investigated and all that. And... Um, there's, there's some, but, but these are amazing characters, and I think that if the idea of sainthood is to bring to our attention the exploits and characters of some of our heroes of the faith, that's probably a good thing, isn't it? So, in actual fact, the, what the Bible says is this. The word for saint is, just means holy, hagioi, and, and it means holy. It means one who is holy sanctified, set apart, a true believer, right? And Paul addresses most of his letters to the saints in wherever he's writing, okay? So the saints aren't some special person that after their death is investigated by people and said, oh yes, you've done a miracle, you can become a saint or something like that. This are the true believers, the people of God who are alive now, today. And we are all saints, right, in that sense. We are all saints. But I wanted to just bring one thing out here. The term, it's always used in the plural. There is not one place in the Bible where it talks about a saint. It always talks about the saints, the people of God together, right? It's... Uh, and so it's always in the plural. And finally, 
it's not just a matter of identity, it's a matter of quality, it's a matter of character. Paul could say, and we talk about the prayers of the saints in in Revelation and uh, the suffering of the saints, it's not just a matter of, he could have just said the church. And some of his letters are just addressed to the church. But it's about our character. When we are addressed as the saints, it's not just it's not just you are Hope Church. It's talking about a people who are holy, who are sanctified, who are set about, set apart to serve the Lord. We are true believers. And, and that's what we aspire to in a way. It's a challenge to us because we are the saints. But we need to aspire to be the sort of people. And so, as Marilyn um, said earlier, you know, we've got saints that we all... There's saints in this room. And there are saints that have gone, that, that have gone by. I, I just picked a few out. St. Glynis. Right, St. Glynis died a few couple of months back. What a wonderful woman St. Glynis was. We're not going to go into her life now. How about this one? St. Beryl. St. Beryl was someone who's very close to Diane and I. She was a wonderful lady. She, wasn't, she was quite quiet. But she just did good works under the surface when nobody knew. Do you know, I can say it now she's gone. She's, as said, Beryl once said to us, my ambition is to give away a million pounds in my life. Now, you know, 25 years ago when she said that, that was worth a lot more than it is today. Um, she, but she, she used her money to give, and she give away, she'd give money to help students, to help people have music lessons, because Beryl didn't have... Beryl's pretty tone deaf and she couldn't play, she couldn't sing. So she invested quietly in helping young people to learn music. What an amazing thing, eh? Saint Beryl, she is a, a saint. She, I don't know if she did many miracles, but she was a saint. And uh, we, we, uh, you know, we can learn a lot from her. And I'm not going to talk much. This is, a, this is a Saint Les. Have you heard of Saint Les? He's just, nobody knows him here except Diane and I. He, he married us, and to me, he was my first father in the Lord. He was, he was a, a single man. He, uh, he just opened his home to let people come in and love them and showed love to them. He cooked for them, he made, and many, many people just loved him, and this guy died when he was about 50. Do you know what he died of? He died of an oversized heart. Physically, an oversized heart. If you're going to die of anything, that's probably something that's worth dying for, isn't it? So, we're, we're all saints here, if we love the Lord. But there's something to aspire to, isn't there, in that? There's something to aspire to, and... You know, aspire to for next generations. Maybe some of these kids now, you'll look in years to come and you'll think, That's a, that was a character that really inspired me. I really feel that's helped me in my walk with God. Someone who's a true believer. So, 
we're going to close here. So let's just uh, give thanks and pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Thank you for everyone here. Thank you for the assembly of saints, Lord. Thank you for those who are at home who are watching. Part of the saints, the saints of God, those who raise up their, their prayers to you. And it says, you know, one day all those prayers of the saints are gathered in a bowl and they'll be poured out. And a lot of all those prayers that people are praying and praying and praying, the impact will, will happen one day. And uh, we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the, some of these saints that we've seen on the screen, Lord, that, uh, that are so, you know, their lives, what marks them out? We may not like the sort of Catholic stuff there, but they were people who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. Father, we just pray that through, through the, those heroes of the past, we might step forward and become heroes of the present and heroes of the future, Lord. Lord, may, may you bless each one. As we, go, as we leave here now, will you bless each one, Lord? May we go out and carry the blessing of God to others today. We pray, Lord, as we, some of us will gather for the Blazing Light Party, there will be a bit of fun, but it will also be a time when of, of some inspiration, Lord, for, uh, for young people. So may, you, may your blessing be on that and pray you hold those rain clouds away for tonight, Lord. So uh, in Jesus' name, we go out and bless the world. Amen.